a Highline podcast. Welcome to Ravel, a roundtable show about how faith gets complex with the vast amount of information at our fingertips. For some people, this complexity has caused the unraveling of their faith, and for other people, it's been liberating. Take us, for example. I'm Stephen. I'm Josh. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of the American Christian spectrum, and as some of our beliefs migrate, we still feel like our theology is in process. Theology always has fundamentally been, and will always be, an exploratory dialogue. That alone is proof that faith raveling doesn't have to be a crisis, even if it feels like it. We don't have all the answers, so we want to use this show to model what it can look like to genuinely sort through beliefs in real time. So share a drink with us as we pull on the thread of our own pressing questions. Thanks for listening. Hello, friends. Happy winter to you both. Happy winter to you too, Josh. Happy winter Thank indeed. You. I think the weather has changed across our entire country at this point, and it is just lovely. I I love a good blustery day. I really do. <laughs> Did you just say you love a good blistery day? No, blustery. Like in oh. the Hundred Acre Wood? Yeah. Like Winnie okay, the Pooh. I heard, Winnie the Pooh? I heard blistering as in like a horrible like 40 mile per hour winds, and yeah. I was like, Josh, no, you crazy. No, 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 no. You crazy. Winnie the Pooh is maybe the most beloved childhood show. Terrible costume. Great show. But now it's public domain and they're making a horror movie and it's ridiculous. Oh, yeah. I I did hear about it. Happy Halloween. Um, (laughs) Before we get to in the woods about this, uh, I want to hear what you guys are drinking. (laughs) I am ushering in winter with the king of Montana beers, a delicious dark scotch ale by the name of Mountain Man from Jeremiah Johnson Brewing Company. That beer is so good. Uh, I really need to get some when I come to Montana because that beer is so good. Yeah, I would Mm -hmm. love to crack a few with you. We can share. I am enjoying a nice, warm, nice mug of uh, caramel apple cider. Keurig style, of course. But it is good. It is perfection. Keurig style is such a funny way to say that. (laughs) Honest. I love it. Um, I am not drinking Keurig style. I made an AeroPress of some beans that I picked up over in the UK. Shout out to Bristol, UK, home of Clifton Coffee Roasters. And also our dear friend Jeff, one of our beloved patrons, um, who I got to meet over in the UK, which was absolutely wild. Lovely time. Yeah. Um, So I'm drinking this Ethiopian. Uh, It's very light. The tasting notes were white grape, mead, and fig. And honestly, I get it. I I see what they're going for. Wow. It's delicious. Hey, speaking Uh, of beloved patrons from the UK... Oh, yeah. Our drinks today are paid for by our newest member of the community, AJ. So shout out to AJ. Thanks for the drinks. Yes, indeed. I'm also drinking. I cracked open a cold one, a tangerine LaCroix, and I have some leftover blueberry basil syrup that I just dumped in there. And it's all right. (laughs) I think I could have gotten less on the syrup, but it's good. Action, reflection, action. (laughs) Right. We learn from Um, our mistakes and we step forward. So the listeners don't... Oh, wait. We we do have one more announcement, I believe, right? Before we get started? Yeah. uh, I wanted to reiterate for everyone that we have the brand new what Josh wants to call the Ravel hotline. So if you want to submit a topic suggestion or ask us a question, I suppose, or leave an audio review 
is what I'm affectionately calling them. Like if you don't have the Apple Podcasts uh, account or you can't leave a review on Spotify, go ahead and leave us an audio review. Tell us in a few sentences over the phone uh, why you like the show and what it means to you, and you could be played on the show. Uh, you can call in to 601-55-RAVEL, and that is 601-557-2835. And, and... <laughs> My second announcement Ooh. is... Still feels a little surreal, if I'm being honest. It just became official on the credits of the show in question. But I got a job doing the editing and audio engineering for one of our favorite shows on the internet called The Bible for Normal People. I'm so happy about this. It's been <laughs> it's been a very crazy month or so getting to edit that show. I was telling Dixie today, like this show has been formative for me in the way I approach the Bible and the way I've learned to approach my faith for the last half a decade. And being on the team and truly being the first one to hear an interview as I edit it is just kind of a surreal feeling of like, we're going to share this with so many people, but I'm the first one to know what it's going to sound like. It's wild. And you've edited a handful of them now, haven't you? It's true. Yes. Yeah, I'm super stoked. Pretty much it. everything that came out in October, but I'm I'm on the team now, you guys, and it's very exciting. If anyone listening has not checked out the show, highly recommend. Um, I think it's their third episode with Rachel Held Evans that gives a really good description of like faith unraveling and raveling and like having a like having a strengths based approach to faith crisis that truly inspired the name of our show and what we wanted to approach conversations with. So great episode off the top of my head. Just so many good ones, honestly. Before we get started, um, the listeners don't realize this, but it has been a while since we've recorded. And so <laughs> my my notes have just been like overflowing. Like <laughs> I feel like I have too many things to choose from. So I think that we should roll a dice. I think that I will name a couple here just so we know like what oh. the options are. And honestly, there'll be a preview for an episode indeterminately in the future because i want to talk about all of these things so let's let's go with uh number one i want to talk about the it's a god thing coincidence line that christians love to throw out there i want to talk about number two how i think we should call it disgust culture instead of purity culture number three i want to talk about the i'm not sure what the right word is for this i guess it's just a belief that like all sins are equal quote unquote. And number four, as someone who grew up like loosely in the Pentecostal tradition, like influence, I want to reconsider prophecy. These are some topics. <laughs> so that's four. Those are the four that like I the most want to talk about and I can't nail it down. So Stephen. So let's go ahead and cast lots, shall we? Just like they did in the book of Jonah. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Three. Three. That was the one I was wanting. There it is. We're talking about sin again. Um, it's been a while since we've talked about sin. I think we've all kind of laid that out. I don't remember which episode that was. Oh yeah. Well, I know we a have a, an episode called "Sinning for Dummies." Listen, that's what it was. At this point, a hundred and thirteen episodes in, almost three years of podcasting together. There's going to be repeats, and you oh, just yes. have to forgive us for that. Yeah. <laughs> or don't. That's your choice. But I think that we did not talk about the idea of like people believing that sin is equal. And to be honest, I'm not sure a like where that came to 
fruition and B, why it got so popular. And it, it just, I feel like so many people talk about it like it's a given. So, what are your thoughts? Did you guys get that? Well, up? first, I kind of want to acknowledge the teaching of Jesus that says, that does do a little equivocating as far as to murder is to also harbor anger, right? Or to lust is to also commit adultery. Sure. There's some grappling to do with that for sure. But I think what you're kind of talking about is when the equivalency just seems so far out of left field, like to murder is to steal a pack of gum, you know? Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, have have any of you, have either of you committed petty theft before? No, um, I have not actually. <laughs> think about it. I haven't. I guess like in the same household, but not like, not like from a store. I... Uh, I stole Pokemon cards from my cousin once that I really wanted. It was a holographic <laughs> Machamp, um, Ooh. and I didn't I didn't have it. And he was bragging about it, and uh, we left his house in Idaho, and I stole it. Um, and wow. then I was I was racked with guilt for the three months until we saw him next, and then I gave it back to him, and he was like, "Oh, uh, whatever." <laughs> <laughs> but I kind of tortured myself about it, which is an interesting point about maybe like what the consequence of sin is or even hell sure. for that matter. But um, I've I've also stolen from source before. Would that surprise you to learn? <laughs> Steven, I am shook. Listen, can I tell you that stealing chapstick got so much harder once they started putting them with the like the big the card. No, with the big cardboard backs like it used to be like, oh, yeah, it was just the tube. Right, and those are so much easier to palm. Man, I. <laughs> <laughs> okay, We're naming this you... episode "Theft One Hundred and One" yeah. by Stephen. Do you know what? Okay, for real though, do you know what? Like some stores, like Target and Walmart, are starting to do now. They're not stopping people who are shoplifting. Yeah. Instead, their like surveillance has increased in like technology and ability so much that they just track like the amount that people steal and they wait until you hit a thousand dollars so that they can charge you with a felony instead of just like stopping you while you're in the store. They'll let you walk out. Crazy. They'll get you. Wow. I don't know what possessed me at that age of my life to just think that was okay. Or like, I don't know if I was like possessed by this idea of like living on the edge. I'm just like, I'm testing the boundaries or whatever, you know, very strange. Cause I, otherwise I mean, you know, I was racked with guilt for stealing a Pokemon card, but, uh, but what was that guilt that you were racked with? Like, what do you think it was just like, like a moral, like I shouldn't have done that. Or do you think it was more like theological? Uh, it was both. It was both for sure. I think the theological angle is truly what you're trying to speak to though, of there, there was a way I was raised to think of those actions as equivalent, right. Of like, stealing a chapstick or stealing a Pokemon card was equally deserving of hell. Yes. I feel like that's exactly what's implied. As something as heinous as manslaughter could be, right? So Emily, as a Methodist, do you feel like you got any sense of this ideology growing up? Or maybe still? You know, not really. And I I guess I say that in the sense that growing up and the church that I attended, we we discussed the idea of like sin is bad, but we didn't want to talk about like equating that murder is equally as bad as stealing gum 
because obviously those are like two different things. It was more or less like the consequences of those things are the same. And it's, you know, whether it's the guilt or just the fact that you're now like further separating yourself from God. But we always like to end it on a good note. And that's where we like hype up the idea of grace and forgiveness and unconditional love. Um, And so I feel like the conversation of sin is not talked about as much. Hmm. And I really don't know where to go from that. I think the consequences angle is really interesting. Like in some ways that's very uh, behavioral, like in terms of psychology, with like obviously a theological spin in terms of like, like not only will you suffer like psychological consequences, like with guilt and shame or remorse, but there are also theological consequences potentially of mm-hmm. feeling a separation from God or eternal separation. Or I feel like that is what's implied in the like all sins are equal because sin is always like like put up against like a causal. I think sin is usually looked at as a causal uh, component of us being damned to eternal separation. Right. And I think like while that is maybe, a, I don't want to say a positive thing, um, but maybe since having the more consequential focus of sin, I enjoy that. Like I, I particularly like that better than just having this linear stealing gum equates to murder thing. What is dangerous sometimes is when someone steals a pack of gum and then people harp and be like you might as well have committed murder like that it's, it's the same yeah, thing like, like what the is consequences like, are the same thing and you're like no like they're not those are entirely different actions where stealing a piece of gum though bad though wrong though illegal is not the same conscious effort as making the conscious effort to taking a life indefinitely yeah exactly <laughs> i think that's what like befuddles me so much about it is like commonsensically it doesn't make sense to like view them all equally like every wrong you could possibly do like just like even if we were just like gonna look at the psychology of it like the psychological toll is not the same no no god no or even the like premeditation even yeah not even close i think there's an element of like we have to consider from which theology gives us like a uh, a vantage point of like what is our initial orientation to god so for me growing up in a reformed baptist tradition i was in the place of total depravity by the fact that i was just born as a human being um i was initially oriented as an enemy of god and it was it's only because of his grace that i even have the ability to think about that differently and repent under that kind of uh very predestined type of like election so for me like being racked with that guilt or having a sense of they are equally bad it's it's not that the consequences were necessarily um like this consequentialism you guys are talking about, like that wasn't really a factor because if I was being honest with myself at the time, I believed that I was already oriented toward like, well, I was already going to hell almost. Mm. It's, it's a confirmation of your true self under that theological paradigm. So to steal a pack of gum and to murder are both confirmations that 
I am wretched to the core and I can't do anything about it. I will admit I can appreciate that viewpoint in contrast to the you did the sin, therefore you get the same consequence viewpoint. But I'm curious, like how, like, cause you, would you say you believe in total depravity? Depravity? Depravity. I did. I don't. Do you feel like you currently, okay, so like how would you now frame it? How I would frame our initial orientation. No, I mean like the, like if we don't have the total depravity oh. original orientation to explain the why sin deserves the same consequence, but it's it's because of like what precedes it. Like, how would you then explain, well, I guess I'm not exactly sure what I'm asking you to explain. I guess what I'm asking is like, what is your current view on the relationship of like sins or wrongdoings mm. in relation to each other? Well, uh, it's extremely Arminian, like uh, process theology in the sense of, I believe in a pretty radical version of free will over and against the the predestination that I was raised in. Um, so I do think our actions do matter and they have consequence. And that is, that's even framing new ideas for me of like, oh, I think maybe prayer could actually be doing some stuff, <laughs> you know, but because of that posture of free will, right? Like I think our initial orientation is goodness and innocence, but that the natural byproduct of growing up and kind of filling out the corners of our consciousness is beginning to learn that we have agency and we can use that agency to be selfish or to be others oriented and community oriented. So that means that every sin puts me, I guess, at the the cause end of the cause and effect, if that makes sense. Whereas I was raised with the causes, well, Adam and Eve screwed up, so sorry. <laughs> um, but I, I, I think it just means to me now that like what I do matters. And much more than that, even in the way that Jesus is talking about, like to lust is to commit adultery, is like my thoughts matter too, right? Yeah, I I do like the angle of like Jesus pointing that out that like our thoughts do matter, but I'm still surprised if people like would want to interpret that as they're the same like in terms of action cuz like what well, I would interpret it as wh- which I think is what you're saying is that they both come from the same place. They both come from the same place and the and thoughts the th- matter. And the thoughts matter because in a way I think in the really weird ways that thoughts seem to come from outside of us and arrive with us, I think right with a, a robust definition of lust being like you're dwelling on like a lustful imagination, like being with this person, like what it would feel like, what it would be like to like cheat on your current partner. If you have one, all those kind of things, like really dwelling in it. Right. Cause lust isn't just like noticing someone has a nice body or whatever Mm -hmm. though i was raised to think so hey i think i think what jesus is doing and what i'm trying to say is the thoughts matter because the thoughts are very often the hook at the end of the fishing line that lead you toward the action that they germinate inside you yeah you know 100 percent. i absolutely see it that way like that jesus is affirming that ideology and our cognitive patterns absolutely matter and they absolutely represent what we are going to do in the real world which i think is a reality but i just think that it's 
like I think that can be true and I think that can be true about like moral and immoral behavior but like I feel like it's just such a like a misrepresentation for someone to like boil it down to all sins are equal well and we see Jesus having conversations about the size I guess I want to use the word the size of sin when he calls mm. out like the Pharisees to be like, hey, you're going to call me out for working on the Sabbath, but like you're not feeding the hungry. You're not tending to the lame. Ooh, yeah. Or like, again, with, good the, point. with the Pharisees to be like, you're not um, you're not tithing or donating a tenth of your your money or of your crop. And Jesus is like, OK, yeah, that's that's bad. But like you guys are also not oriented towards justice and mercy and compassion like sin is bad sure but like at least these people <laughs> though they are not mm. tithing or giving of their harvest or the best of their harvest at least they are people who are oriented towards justice and mercy and compassion y'all are like failing in that so really whose sin is the worst and i think when people get caught up in this kind of bible thumping approach to sin that's dangerous because then we get into the action of okay sure i eat shrimp and I have tattoos and blah, blah, blah. But like, at least I'm going to feed the hungry and tend to the lame and mm. give support to those in need. I would rather sin in those aspects of eating shrimp and having tattoos mm. than not caring for the lame and feeding the hungry and helping the poor and the widow and the orphan. Do like, you? The, the sin wow. matters. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that Jesus's project was to move the definition of sin from kind of lift it out of like cleanliness codes and honor codes and almost if you'd allow me to say it this way like put it in terms of almost like a love code in that mm -hmm. he's orienting sin as basically anti-love mm -hmm. he's moving it from head to heart mm, okay He's moving it from head to heart. People can recite laws. People can recite codes. People, mm -hmm. you know, can memorize the Ten Commandments. But like if you don't act and live your life oriented in through towards abounding in love, then like, yeah, Jesus, I think, was trying to mm. reorient people to say, hey, yeah, the laws are cool. Laws are important. <laughs> but these things are probably more important because these things impact the very laws that you were throwing at them. Well, and also just recognizing that the laws were important for the time that they were given, right? So the And for a very specific purpose. Right, the utter uncleanliness of swine and seafood that made many people sick and die, like there would be a law made to say like oh, well, that's clearly something that we shouldn't do. Maybe we're being punished by God for doing that. Like, I don't know if they would think of it in those terms, but we're identifying something that's dangerous or harmful and saying like, well, just make a law to just say, we don't do that. Like people like us don't eat things like that. <laughs> and that's the way to set that up. But yeah, I love what you're doing with Jesus saying, you know, like he quite literally says, you can follow all the laws you want, but if if you as the rich man can't sell all your possessions, give to the poor and live humbly, where are you left? Well, and I think part of it too is acts of love, acts of service. Those don't change, whereas laws can. And 
to rely mm. on something that can change Ooh. seems really bizarre to me. Like, that's the mountain you're going to die on to cling onto the Bible and to be a Bible thumper instead of acting in ways of love and justice and mercy. Like, I, I ain't about that. <laughs> like, I'm going to live my life that is firm and foundational in what I know to be true and cannot change, which is love. Like love is unchanging. And we see that because we have unconditional love through Jesus Christ, God, like the Holy Spirit guides us and shows us ways of unconditional love and reminders of love. Those things do not change. And if it does change, then it's not truly love. Kind of like as a a constant Mm. lure toward like an ideal, right? Like a universal ideal. Yeah, but okay. But maybe in the same way that sin can somewhat be on a spectrum, like clearly some things have a worse impact, both on the person who committed it and to people around them than other actions do. Shouldn't we be also able to look at acts of love in a similar way? Like some things are more loving, like some things can be like included as like (laughs) an act of love, but like some things are more loving to do. Yeah, like some things have a greater impact. Yes, some things are more loving, but they do not change. Like that, that act of love, however big or small, is still love, and you can't change that. Oh, okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Oh. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So, so even in the difference of like, I bought Dixie a coffee as a gesture of affection and love. Yeah. Like the same motivation would also motivate a small community of people to raise a thousand dollars for courtney clark to help with Mm -hmm. some medical bills and to help relaxation in a time like we we did that a while ago this year but are you saying emily that the motivation behind that is effectively the same yeah oh absolutely it's not about Mm. the it's not about the sot like when a child comes up to you and gives you a homemade card that they misspelled the words, <laughs> you know, you can't say that that's not as equally loving Kid, as this is crap. someone who buys you a diamond <laughs> ring out of love. Like they're professing, like you can't equate those because yeah. they're both acts of love. They come from the heart. They come from a genuine space of giving oneself in an authentic way mm. that is wholesome and life-giving. So when we now rely on something that is not as foundational or as concrete as love, we instead hang on our ideals of the law. It's That's faulty. That is so faulty because laws change and the motivation behind laws also change. We see it in our world constantly. We just want to say how honored we are that you listen to Ravel. Seriously, there's a lot of great shows out there, and we're grateful to be in your feed. Thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology. If you want to support what we're doing, the best way to help is to tell a friend about us. We want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between. And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency. For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, so we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. 
We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us, and we'd love to get to know you. Thank you to everyone who's already supporting, and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music, In Full Color. Ravel is a founding podcast of the Heinlein Media Network. And here's a word from one of our sister shows, The Whiskey Bench. Welcome to The Whiskey Bench, where we pair cocktails with conversation. Whether we're diving deep into a meaty subject like the history of fascism, or why monetary policy drives inflation, or just bringing you the highlights of a crazy news week, we aim to look past the simple answers and discuss the complexity of our wild world. So pull up a chair, pour yourself a drink, and join us on The Whiskey Bench. Listen, we know every church nowadays has its own espresso bar. But that didn't stop us. We've partnered with Good Food Award winner Revel Coffee to present a custom Highline blend. This is not your church's undertrained barista's coffee. No, no, no. It's reliable, delicious, brews well with every home method, and honestly, it just smells great. This isn't your stale, burnt-to-a-crisp grocery store brand dark roast that tastes like it comes from the pits of hell. The Highline blend is properly sourced, roasted to order, and shipped out fresh. Support us by ordering a bag at highline.network shop, or tap the link in the show notes. I like your point about, like, like applying the same heuristic to love in that like it really does come back to like motivation and thought patterns and Mm. like that that is the starting point like regardless of like the impact of the actions so i think that's a really good point that that's like applicable to love but i feel like where even though i can accept that logic for something like sin and moral action like if someone's gonna have a definition of sin i still think where it gets choppy for me is people applying that scenario to what paul is saying where he says like the wages of sin is death and like i just feel like it gets like i think even with like a like a motivation minded view of the sin's moral situation i think that it still inevitably causes just a shitload of guilt on people and like fear of i don't it it still feels really like fear driven to me when there's just so much rhetoric around sin causing death and hell but i can also like get on board with the like keeping people accountable for their own actions and like trying to show people that like what they do has eternal consequences like in the real world like you can cause so much harm and shit so i think that's good but i don't know so in thinking about that if we are to bend our ear heavily towards the eternal separation and the, and the death that sin basically causes and induces uh, regardless of what you know you do then it almost seems like we're not truly like easter people like if we're going to just focus so much on the death side of it then resurrection has no purpose and no point like We need to move Mm. past that. So, like, we need to acknowledge that, just like we acknowledge Good Friday. But then we need to Mm. move forward from that, which is what comes from that. How about unconditional love, grace, like 
seeing for, for seeing forgiveness, seeing the opportunities to be better people and to like strive towards this idea of perfection, right? And like being complete and not living in this this completeness of sin, but rather this completeness of perfection and love. And that's where we see resurrection. So I think if mm. for people who rely so heavily on the sin language and orienting their lives on just focusing on that aspect, what's the point of resurrection then? Like, where's the hope? <laughs> because that does not seem life-giving to me at all. Do you think that there is, in people trying to talk about sins being equal, whether that's in terms of motivation or separation or like consequences, like all of that, like whatever. Do you think that there's any risk even in those different perspectives on it that inherently causes like whitewashing of people's actions? Like off the top of my head, I'm thinking of people in power causing abuse. Like if we're if we're focused on the starting point more than the impact, like are we are we putting ourselves at risk of downplaying someone's impact? Do you know what I mean? Can you like can you I see where you're going with your example. Can you maybe iterate a little bit more? Sure, sure. Okay, so uh example off the top of my head. I ran across John Christ, the comedian, on TikTok the other day. And every time I run across him, I'm like Oh my God, he's still making stuff. <laughs> like he's, he's still, he's like back on the train, even after like that, the whole scandal that happened, there's some really good articles out there if people don't know about it, but basically he blackmailed several fans into sexual situations for tickets. And he like went away to like Christian sex rehab and then just like, like offered, like in my opinion, a, half-assed apology on the internet and then just jumped back into being a comedian. And as much as I like to believe that like resurrection and restoration and healing, even for abusers is possible. Like I, I really want to believe that people can change from being abusive. But in that situation, I almost wonder if like having a mindset that like sin is equal in some shape or fashion causes us to like self-equivocate someone's actions who had a worse impact. Like, hmm. I stole a pack of gum and John Christ blackmailed several young women into sleeping with him in some fashion. Him and I are the same. Like, we, we've all, we've all fallen short. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, like, I guess my, my worry in the, like, equalizing language is it feels like it puts all things on an even playing field. And I don't think that that's in everyone's best interest. Like I think it I think even if like motivation, like to your point, Emily, about like love, like love is love no matter like the impact. And I, I think that someone could have the same theoretically healthy concept for sin and immoral action, like identifying things as such mm -hmm. as they are, no matter how big or small. I think that that can be possible while also acknowledging that things are worse than other things. Absolutely. I guess that's what I'm trying to get at. Like, how do we get there still? I think if people try to make sense of, do you guys remember the phrase like "love the sinner, not the sin"? Ugh. Oh, oh yeah, right. Like, ooh, oh, even yeah. even just even just saying that <laughs> made my ah, my tongue tastes weird. Um, 
that I think that idea, okay, not not the words, but the idea of you know that you're not that person. Like you stole gum. You are not the same as someone who abuses power and manipulates people into sexual mm. acts in order for a gain. Like you have to be able to separate who you are from other people. Because if you see mm. yourself as an equal sinner in that line, then that's like saying Stephen stealing chapsticks is the same as Hitler. Like they're both I was just sinners. Say that, yeah. And <laughs> like we should love the sinner, love Stephen, not the fact that he steals chapstick, mm. right? And I know you don't steal chapstick anymore, Stephen, but <laughs> like we have to be able to separate ourselves as individual people and not putting ourselves in the same line the same spectrum of other people and our sin versus their sin being the same because mm. it just does not make sense to live your life that way i mean that you're i love your example with hitler and i mean it's it's obviously been talked about by so many people in the last 50 years but i i think it's such a great example of like not all not all immoral action is like actioned sometimes it's just ideological and mm -hmm. it like causes other people to do things. And I, I think that there's like, I, I think there's such a tendency for us to label the physical actions as like the supremely worse actions uh. when like, going back to your point, Emily, about like love and motivation, like it all starts with ideology and our thought processes. Absolutely. And like, that's why Hitler's to blame, right? Like he wasn't the one like executing much of the things, but he was the one controlling the ideology and like speaking it into existence great example it seems so weird um my mind is kind of beginning to frame it in almost like an elitist type of framework of like hmm. it's in john christ's best interest that we all think sins are equal <laughs> yes exactly um because that makes it a lot easier for him uh-huh and nobody's perfect right nobody's perfect and this is this is my mistake and we're all allowed one big one <laughs> right something like that i don't know what that is but it just seems like uh, a convenient thing to be handed down from the mountain of these big name public figures you know whether they be comedians or pastors like you know it's in their best interest to have us think that all our sins are equal so that we can say like, Oh, you know, he did mess up, but I'm going to, I'm going to default toward just accepting the half-ass apology and moving on because dang it, he's my pastor and he deserves it. But coming from that same pulpit is you stole a pack of gum and you are destined to hell. If you don't like drink my Kool-Aid, mm -hmm. it's very lopsided. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I think that like unconditional positive regard is incredible for people's healing. Like I believe John Christ should go to a therapist who believes in a Rogerian style of unconditional positive regard for his own healing. Mm -hmm. Like that's an incredible tool. And I absolutely think that's what Jesus is getting at. Like Emily, you were mentioning like the whole, like we need to love the person. I, I think it's huge. Like I, I think there's almost nothing more powerful than the completely like trying to divorce someone from their own actions and like still love them. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's huge, but,
But I think what unfortunately happens in the church is that unconditional positive regard angle gets superimposed onto other people mm-hmm. to mm. have of the person who did the shit. Or, and then you get guilted for not. Yeah. Or right? it becomes, I don't care how vile of a person he is. Donald Trump deserves to be the leader of our country because he gets the laws passed that I want. Mm. 100%. I don't, I, it just, I don't feel like we have in our culture a robust way of thinking about unconditional positive regard parallel to appropriate consequences and the appropriate removal of power and influence. I think what's really difficult is like the church is often tied up in employment and financial incentive. Mm-hmm. No offense, Emily. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but like, None we all want. I'm not going to say we, they all want Matt Chandler to come back as fast as possible. And yes, and that's because they're 100%. used to his sermons. They like his books. They like him as a personality. I, you know, I can, I, I feel willing to say that under 5% of the congregation of the village, village church has actually shared a table with him though. So why do mm-hmm. they love him so much? It's because of his mm-hmm. stage. It's because of his voice. It's because of all those things. And they're just, they're going to throw backing toward that when we all really need to have, like, take a step back and be like, is that best for him? And also, is that best for us to just, like, keep that going and just, like, prop him up and say, like, oh, yeah, just just get back in there, man. Like, figure it out, you know, take the time out and uh, come back in the second half squared away. <laughs> you know what's funny about this? And I think we should have a whole conversation about, like, different pastoral models because i recognize that there are many types and flavors out there Mm -hmm. but i think that like i'm just like now thinking of like workplace parallels and like if a ceo of a company was caught like sleeping with an intern there's a good chance they would just get fired or like put on like a a hyper review with hr assuming that like the rest of the company you know cares about their hr ethics and etc and like major change would probably happen if not that person just get fired versus like in the church there is such like a beloved nature to the pastor who is arguably the ceo figure in most churches like matt chandler's and correct there's virtually no hr to speak of in most churches he is the hr yeah most likely i mean some churches will like fall back on the well we have a board and or maybe there's several boards like the, but the board is like made up Mars of Hill. other anonymous mega church pastors who's best interest is to get this guy back up because then they can sell tickets to conferences and to worship shows. Yeah, unfortunately. If church is going to be a business, uh, <laughs> this is like a whole nother rabbit trail. <laughs> if church is going to be a business, <laughs> there should be trained HR professionals in every building, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Maybe even the small churches. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, well, they It's they, hard. I mean, that's like kind of a whole other thing. They call those discipleship pastors nowadays. <laughs> For real? I mean, in my experience, yeah, is basically what that is. Emily, we really went down the rabbit hole on, really <laughs> on the whole pastor thing. We really but, did. Um, as we Oops. as we start to wrap up, I'm I'm curious what you guys would. Uh, how do I want to frame this? How do you think you would like talk to somebody who is like really adamant that they think all sin is equal in some fashion? Because I feel like people say that out of like different motivations like the like a megachurch pastor is probably saying that to like help himself or herself save face when the scandal breaks but Mm. like someone who's like 
an everyday Joe who's like repeating the ideology that he's been given that all sins are created equal. We've all fallen short. How would you have a conversation with that person? Or like, what would you try to like give them perspective on? Lord. Um, first of all, this would be more than a one-time conversation. I can tell you that because in my opinion, as a clergyman, as a woman of the cloth, um, (laughs) it is impossible in one sitting to have someone change their view on Zen. Like it just, especially if they're ideology and their perspective of sin is deeply rooted from family tradition from church upbringing and from pastor to pastor so there's a lot of dialogue that needs to happen about what do you actually believe don't just tell me these words and just think that that's what you believe like i want to actually know what you for yourself believe because i have found in conversations with parishioners even here in my church they don't know what they believe when it comes to sin because oftentimes they say well my mom taught me this and i'm like do you believe that for yourself and they find mm. well no i i guess i i actually don't cuz that's where the conversation really starts is actually finding out what they truly believe and Once we figure that out, then the conversation will take flight. And it's really hard to say what I would say because it really depends on Mm. what the person themselves say. (laughs) And I know for me, I'm always going to orient it towards love and unconditional love and grace because that's who I am. And that's the God that I believe in. And I, you know me, I am a life giving (laughs) person who wants to ensure that others have a life that is thriving and they're not just living out their faith in terms of survival. And that is oftentimes where people are coming from is this idea of I'm eternally separated from God from, you know, through sin and I need to survive this world so I can get to heaven. Like I need to follow the rules and live accordingly so I can make it to the other side. And we need we need to uh, have a life-giving conversation to reshape that to know that you can experience mm. heaven on earth like you can live your life <laughs> and be a good person and still make mistakes and to know that mistakes are going to happen and you don't need to always see it as this eternal pitfall that you're never going to escape from and you are just as bad as hitler so let let's change that <laughs> let's try and figure out a way to make sense of it for yourself and we're going to start with what do you believe in for yourself i don't really know if that answer your question that's a big no, question I, I think <laughs> i think it is very case dependent because like as you were talking um one of the things that i'm thinking about now is like i think a lot of christians i can't believe i didn't think about this before but i think a lot of christians love to say that all sin is equal and then turn right around and treat different types of sin in their eyes as like the fucking worst. Mm-hmm. And it like does not line up with their ideology that all sin is created equal. Or if they did something bad, they don't want to see it as bad as someone else who did just the same thing. 100%. Because it it can be so easy to say, well, I repented, so I'm good to go. Like you haven't yet it becomes a game and that's not what it is. It's not who can get out of sin first or the fastest or the best. (laughs) Or, I mean, like 
Well, you didn't, you don't have the full picture. Like I, you know, I, mm-hmm. you don't understand. I don't, yeah. I don't think I can make a case for petty theft of chapstick is equal to stealing a loaf of bread to feed my family, but it's theft either way. Right. His, his lips were really chapped. Okay. <laughs> you don't understand. It was winter and right. Yeah. But yes. So yeah, it really is circumstantial and case by case. Mm-hmm. Um, to answer your question, Josh, I, my inclination is to almost just like change the topic almost completely as <laughs> fast as possible. Um, because I really, leaning into that nine week, I really, baby. Ooh, yeah, well, but what I really want to do is emphasize what is a beautiful lyric from my favorite band, Silent Planet, which is, um, what is the weight of my life on the scales of eternity? And hmm. in my view, in my opinion, I don't think there really is anything we can do in our finite capacity to mess things up, to separate ourselves infinitely from the infinite stretch of the love of God. So Mm. what that doesn't mean, though, is that I'm antinomian and just saying, like, I don't care what you do, (laughs) rape whoever you want. You know, it's like it's not that it's not go and just do whatever you want because you can't do any wrong because we're all, you know, I'm the universalist of the bunch. Like I think we're all redeemed meaningfully. Um, well, in that sense, all sin is equal then to you. Almost infinitely small, <laughs> equally infinitely almost. small because yeah, no, I like that perspective compared to infinity. Any other number appears as zero, mm. but to Emily's point, the the real call is to begin creating that heaven on earth now and don't just use it as an afterlife ticket to paradise or to comfort. Mm. Uh, we have responsibility and what we do matters to make that a present reality and not merely a future reality, in my opinion. And that is why I do confess my sin and that is why I do repent when I cause harm. Mm. That that's because I have some impact and responsibility on making it an ever more present reality now. I think that if I was encountering someone who was just very adamant about the theology and ideology that all sin is equal and all sin deserves death and it's all like no matter who it's committed to or the scale of it, it's all the same. We've all just like falling back to like, we've all fucked up short of the glory of God. That's what that should be translated as, right? I think that I would too try to pivot the conversation to just get the person to critically think about like what could be consequentially different about who an action is taken against. Like, is it worse to do something to an adult or to a child or Mm. like just trying to point out like some of the, the spectrum of impact for different actions. And yeah, I think it's a hard one because like I think that like a lot of people do have that that perspective that it's more what they mean is more in terms of motivation and selfishness and um it's the mm-hmm. spirit of it all. But I think it would also depend on who I'm talking to. Whether that person is uh like just like what their angle is. I don't know. It's a hard one. It, I feel like the reason why I wanted to bring it up is because like I don't think I've ever heard a church or I haven't really heard anybody really talk about that, whether or not sin is equal or like what the consequences of thinking that is or like where it comes from or 
I, it's just like to me it's like one of those things that's just like out there and it seems really popular and it feels strange to me so i really mm-hmm. appreciate you guys taking the time to dive into it with me it's not what i expected to talk about today but i'm glad that we just rolled a dice all discussion topics are equal around here you know what i'm saying mm. mm-hmm. now the real topic is whether the fall of the dice was directed by god or not Truly. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you're the universalist in the room. I feel like you have to say yes. Yeah, Stephen. Right? Question mark. Don't you have to believe in like universal <laughs> um, determination to be a universalist? Right. There's a predestination to that as well. Mm. Yeah, no, that's fair. I've, I've seen critiques of universalism on Twitter being basically like it's Calvinism redressed. Because <laughs> it's predestination the other way, which is probably fair. It's just it's just after party Calvinism. Sure, right. Sure, right. There's gonna be some torment in there, but you're gonna be glad when it's over. <laughs> you're gonna suffer, but you're gonna be happy about it. <laughs> Ron Weasley for the win. <laughs> is that a Ron Weasley quote? It really is. Yeah, that's so funny. From the divinations class yep. when they're looking uh, in, the yeah. cup. in the prisoner of Azkaban. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't know. I wasn't allowed to watch those growing up. Wow. Emily. Oh, that's right. That's Magic. What, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. All right. Wow. Um, <laughs> well, if uh, if we got anything atrociously wrong and you'd like to share your thoughts on it, you can do so by literally lending us your voice um, through the Ravel hotline. Uh, you can call the voicemail at 601-55-RAVEL or 601-557-2835. Or if we got it absolutely right, yeah, call us and still just tell us us how we got it right. We'd really appreciate that. That feels really good because then, because then we have we have nothing else to live for. Wow, done after that. Yeah, just kidding. No, but we do want to hear. We do want to hear. We're only in this for the affirmation. (laughs) Only, of course. (laughs) That sounds about right. Well, Emily, all endings, perhaps not being equal. Mm-hmm. Parting is such sweet sorrow. Um, I don't even really know if I have like an official benediction or a, a closing, but maybe you know, bend yourself in a direction that is life giving and loving, and be justice oriented, mercy minded individuals. And you know, we'll tackle the sin thing later. <laughs> like we're all trying to figure it out later. So. An hour later. We'll do it later. It's fine. One hour later. No. Who knows if we'll ever get it right. But if we're going to get something right, it's got to be loving your neighbor and being kind, being genuine, being loving people. Media Network, artist-owned podcasts by normal people in normal places.